0: Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication.
1: Now, here is your host,
0: David Pembroke.
1: Hello, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, in our From the Vault series, I have a conversation with rita zonius who is a communication strategist and consultant based in australia rita is the founder of the enterprise social engineer a communications consulting firm that helps organizations communicate more effectively with employees and customers in this conversation rita shares her insights into a range of topics such as the importance of storytelling the impact of technology on communication, the role of leaders in fostering effective communication and culture within their organisations. And this episode was recorded back in March of 2021. But there is so much in this conversation that is relevant today as it was back then. So my conversation with Rita started by me asking the question, What are some of the things that people really need to get right if they are going to sustain a good and effective, compelling social media program over time?
0: Sure. Well, first it's worth uh, thinking about the use of social at home. Now, we've all got phones. We've all got apps that we love that we use every single day. Now, when it comes to work, though, unfortunately, in a lot of workplaces, the technology simply hasn't kept up. So the cool gadgets that you have at home – you know, not available to you at work. So what happens? We see the creeping in of shadow IT. People bringing their own devices to work, their own apps, and using those to get their work done. You know, irrespective of what uh, the technology police in your organisation might be telling you. So these tools are being used. So finally, I think we're sort of seeing a shift in the in the planets, and organisations are waking up to the fact that you you can't stop your people from using social technologies at work. So it's time to actually put them in the hands of of people. And if we're going to do that and spend money on these technologies, then we want to make sure we do that effectively. So there are a number of of levers that you you can pull to make sure that social technologies hit the right note inside of a company. But the main thing is to ensure that we understand that we're not putting these tools in the hands of people to post pictures of cats and dogs. Yes, of course, social technologies are very social in their nature and they can be a lot of fun. But in the work context, the difference is we've got to help people understand how they can use those tools to get their real work done. I think that's the biggest challenge facing organisations.
1: So how then do you locate, when you're considering this on behalf of clients, how do you locate social media in terms of the overall strategic communications approach to an organisation? Where does it sit and how do you locate it in such a way that it is and does become an effective tool on behalf of the organisation?
0: Hmm. So, social technologies are fast becoming a hub of a digital workplace. So, I'm particularly interested in enterprise social networks. They're kind of akin to a mashup of LinkedIn and Twitter, if you like, but used inside the four walls of an organisation. Now, the reason I like them and why they're becoming a hub and a centre, I guess, of focus for the use of these sorts of technologies and organisations, is we're social creatures. You know, we, we like to get out a bit in the morning and, and uh, communicate with other people. We, we like to be around others. We like to connect, collaborate, and communicate with them. And with enterprise social, you have an environment where you know where that can happen. Um, So, look, you know, in terms of where these tools sit in organisations, they could be owned by anyone. They could be owned by the technologists, they could be owned by a digital workplace team, they could be owned by comms. But the point is, is the whole organisation, to make it successful, really must uh, take interest in it. And you just need to think about where it's going to sit in terms of all the other tools that staff have got available to them, that, you know, that they're using to do their jobs.
1: So, where do people need to start, or what's what's a good place to start in terms of building out an enterprise um, social function? That will enable your organisation and your employees to be able to work more effectively and therefore have a better opportunity or greater chance of success of achieving those overarching objectives?
0: Sure. I think this works well and works best and it applies to enterprise social tools and other new technologies, digital technologies that are coming into the workplace. There's really got to be a commitment from the top of the organisation, from the leadership to want to take a holistic view of these. The problem w- with these technologies are if they become owned by one particular team, then um, that particular team will take a, uh, the slant that suits them, you know, in terms of implementing it. So, for example, if you give these tools to the technologists to love and hold, you'll have a very technology-focused um, approach taken to it. So then you might miss the opportunity to use Change in communication, for example, to help your people understand why and how they can be using these tools. You know, on the other hand, a flip side is if you were to put these tools in the hands of communication teams, you know that can be a good thing. You'll certainly nail the change in the comms approach, but uh, some comms people are not renowned for their technical skills, so you know, there potentially could be some missteps there. So I'm saying that the the best way for these to work is there must be a commitment from the top of the organisation, you know, a real commitment to want to help people explore and experiment and use social tools to get their work done. And when you have that commitment, uh, there's much more uh, edge and urgency, I guess, around delivering these tools to people in a way that's going to help them get their work done.
1: So how then do you take on that challenge of getting the attention of the senior leadership. Obviously, they're driven by the objectives that they've committed to in terms of the strategic plan. They often like to have a look at a business case, particularly if there's going to be investment of time and resources and effort. So what is the, the your recommended best way for someone who is thinking about using these enterprise social tools to drive greater efficiencies and greater productivities, what's the best way to get the attention of leadership?
0: Uh, The best way to get attention of leaders is to speak their language. You know, they've got objectives that they've been set. Uh, There are things that they are being measured on that they have to get done. So it's best to position the use of social technologies in the organisation as being an enabler of the things that they're already on the hook for. So it's no good talking to them about these tools as being an added extra or an additional burden, I guess, on the organisation. These tools must become central and an enabler to getting the real work done that they need to get done anyway. Uh, Also, too, that what works very well is showing leaders examples from other organisations that have gone down this path. So similar organisations showing them case studies of how organisations have been able to better innovate, crowdsource, solve problems, you know, using these technologies. And for leaders themselves, these tools are a fantastic environment uh, to help build their own personal impact and influence as well. So, for example, if you're already sending an email recognising someone of a job well done, imagine the power of that in enterprise social, where many, many thousands of eyeballs can see an individual being recognised by a leader. You know, the impact that that has on the individual receiving that feedback is extraordinary and it's great for the leader as well who's positioning themselves as being someone who's interested uh, in their people and what's going on in the organisation. So for leaders, I think showing them examples, um, helping them appreciate how these tools can help them um, cut out, I guess, the permafrost sometimes that exists in our organisation so that they can hear directly from the grassroots about what's going on. You know, these are the things that uh, that usually engage them and help them appreciate how these tools can be put to serious work. You had a big
1: job uh, in Australia doing the work for the ANZ Bank to be able to set up the enterprise social uh, approach uh, that was to engage the, you know, 60-odd thousand employees that were there. What stories can you tell us from that time, about some of the challenges and some of the opportunities and, indeed, some of the benefits that were derived from those steps that you took?
0: Sure. Well, I remember that when I was first given the, the gig to go and do it, the first thought that popped into my head was, but oh, I don't really know anything about technology. I'm not a technologist. But once I was thrust into the role to, to take the social, social tool and implement it in such a way that it would stick for people, I fast realised that, in fact... Uh, I was the right person for the job because this is not an exercise in deploying a piece of technology. This is about engaging people in a way that helps them shift their behaviour, you know, in a way that opens up their minds to the possibilities of a different way of getting their work done. Because let's face it, you know, human beings are quite scared of change. And now here we are all of a sudden saying to people, we want you to get out of your email, get out of your silos, work more visibly, because when you work more visibly, people can help you with their work or you could help someone else solve a problem. You know, that that comes with a lot of fear. If you've never done that before, you could feel vulnerable. Uh, You could feel perhaps, you know, in some cultures, you might feel as if you're perhaps big moting yourself by talking about what it is you do in your work. So there are many challenges and many little voices inside of people's heads that prevent them from either giving this a go at all or from really taking it where it could go and get the job done. So I certainly found that the biggest challenge was a behavioural one, and it really did not have anything to do with technology at all. Having said that, though, uh, this can't be just left to one, one department of an organisation. You know, it's best when this is a, a holistic approach is taken, where you involve people from all, all walks of life in your organisation, so users who will help you appreciate, you know, what business purpose the tool will serve, and, you know, doing the housekeeping as well around governance and compliance. Um, we had a banking license in ANZ. We needed to safeguard that license. So, having a team of people around you who can look at um, the various risks and issues, you know, that you, need, you may need to mitigate as well. Um, so, a holistic approach, um, absolutely understanding that most of this game is around behaviour change and, and having um, very good housekeeping, you know, in place. Were certainly um, key success factors, so how uh, in making it work at ANZ
1: <clears throat> so how did you get that behavior change how did you get the the, the adoption and, and and the take up how what were some of the things that you did to get people started down this path of being more open and working more openly
0: sure sure there are a number of I guess sort of key success factors when you look at um, getting behavior change to happen so that people will embrace these that won't flash in the pan but that's sustainable and we've talked about one already one is one is leadership so not only do we look to the leaders to help support this initiative but we look to them to to be role models because uh if your leaders are not there and they're not being social and they're not using the tools you can bet your people won't value it either so your leaders must value it and role model it that's one key success factor Another is having champions around you as well. So people typically will be happier to ask a colleague, someone that they know who might be sitting near them, um, for help to use these sorts of tools, you know, rather than perhaps asking someone that they don't know. So having a network of champions, people who are enthusiastic about using social tools in their personal lives, you know, will genuinely be quite happy to help uh, other staff um, come to grips with using uh, these tools at work as well. The other, the other point is uh, communities of practice. This is now where the real work comes into play. So a real hook and a way to get people to engage with Enterprise Social is to help them understand how they can use the tools to get their real work done. So things that they're already doing, uh, for example, if they happen to be uh, gathering ideas from staff in one part of the organisation to fix processes, you know, rather than having that done via email and in an Excel spreadsheet, you know, how do you re-engineer that process from an old school process to work in a more visible way and a transparent way inside of enterprise social tools uh, that are more visible to everybody. So it's about working this is not easy this this part of the the work, but it is about identifying those valuable pockets of your business where there's some really good work being done where you could um, where you can identify, uh, how social tools could help. Mm. Can you
1: give us um, a, 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 re- a specific example from your time when you were back there at, at the ANZ where you're able to draw a direct line between the engagement and activity uh, facilitated by the enterprise social and a, a direct impact or measurable impact on productivity or, or achieving of business objectives?
0: Sure, sure. So uh, it was no surprise in the end after we had the tools in for sort of more than a year or so that the most engaged communities of practice that we had were all frontline staff groups, so staff who were serving the customers. Now, the reason they loved it is because in real time, if they had a customer standing in front of them who had an unusual problem or something they hadn't seen before – Uh, rather than trying to sit down and look through various policies and procedures all by themselves and try and solve the problem alone, they could post in the enterprise social network and say, hey, I've got David standing in front of me, he's got this sort of a problem, and I've never seen it before, and can you help? And it's amazing where the advice would come from. So I'll give you one real example. We had um, some challenges with a, a browser, an internet banking browser, Um, trying to register customers for internet banking. And and one staff member in South Australia posted and said, you know, is anyone else having real problems with this? And, uh, you know, all of a sudden an issue that was not an issue, you know, five minutes before the guy posted, after he posted, staff from all around Australia came out and said, yeah, we're, we're also having problems. So, you know, problems can be solved in the moment. You can identify, you know, IT issues, um you can you can help solve some real real problems, and uh, if you want to extend it further, you can start to put a dollar value on these as well. Um, you know, which is which is also kind of interesting thing. I think that's still challenging for many organizations to do, um, but it is certainly worthwhile to make leaders sit up and, and uh, pay attention. Um, yeah, it was it was exciting to see real problems that staff were having you know, either with different systems and processes inside the bank or, you know, with customers where someone who had had the answer who could potentially be overseas in another part of Australia, you know, was able to help a staff member that they didn't even know, you know, existed. So that that's, um, that's, was absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah. So it's, you raise a couple of things there, I think, that are of real interest and one of them is obviously that return on investment question and being able to ascribe... Dollar values to particular behaviours or uh, incidents or occasions or whatever, so is that you can actually say, you know, we spent X and and returned Y. It's very. I I tend to agree with you that it becomes very difficult to be too precise around that. But I'm 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 sure in some of you, you would have. Uh, done some benchmarking research around the impact of these things and what were some of the positive things that staff would say about the introduction of the enterprise social system that you put in place when you when you asked them?
0: Uh, Well I know certainly if you've just looked at the hard numbers of engagement surveys now after we put the the tool in I mean the staff would say to me you know it was delightful actually after I left the bank I I went and opened a small business account for myself, for my new business, and I mentioned to the banker you know, who I was and what I'd done, and just without prompting, he said to me, I can't tell you how fantastic that enterprise social network is, he said, it's given me a voice, I feel like for the first time, my voice is really being heard, you know, when I have a problem, I have somewhere to, to go and raise that, and, and for for some action to be taken. So that made me feel all warm and fuzzy, um, you know, which was uh, which was really, really exciting. So I think it's when you start, um, you can get caught up in measuring activity levels inside of these tools. It's really important not to get caught up in that. It's, it's important to focus on the real work and have you got the right people doing the right things inside of those tools. It's not enough to just count the visitors or the likes or the comments. What positive change is going on inside your organisation as a result of action being taken on what leaders are seeing and hearing going on? You know, what, what, is, what positive change is going on as a result of these more social conversations that are going on? That's the, that's the exciting thing. So that's
1: a focus on, on the good and on the positive. But what are the risks? And again, in government, I can just see that, the you know, the productivity benefits for particularly... Um, well, doesn't really matter, does it? You know uh, any sort of organization of any size can benefit from sharing of information, establishing of of trust between people of you know, solving problems together. I don't think there's any, anything that's you know, going to be delivered by an enterprise social system that isn't relevant to, or the, the good sides of it, and that isn't relevant to a government uh, department or government agency. But, but what are some of the risks that, that are in place that you need to understand at the beginning? And then what do you need to do to address those risks?
0: Sure. I, as as you talk, I have a very broad smile on my face. You know, once upon a time, it was more of a grimace, but uh, now I've come out on the other side. Uh, I recognise that the, the challenges and the things that seemed very difficult at the time were indeed, you know, worth battling through to get a successful outcome. So we were talking about behaviours before. You know, the number one fear that a lot of leaders had, and I eyeballed plenty of them as I travelled around Australia and New Zealand and Asia to talk to them about what we were going to do, there was incredible fear from some leaders. They thought that staff would start to do the wrong things, say the wrong things, and that this would be, a, you know, an unmitigated disaster. I talked to a lot of those leaders and they were very fearful that we would jeopardise our banking licence. They worried that staff were going to do the wrong thing, that they would give each other the wrong advice, you know, that all of a sudden people would lose their minds because of, <laughs> of working in a more visible way. It really was quite funny at the time. But people, when it comes to enterprise social, they just jump to the worst possible outcome and think that that's exactly what's going to happen. The fact of the matter is, is when you have thousands of eyeballs looking at what you're doing, that has quite a calming effect on people and people really behave themselves. And in in the whole time I observed uh, the workings of enterprise social at ANZ, there might have been two or three times where Something might have been, you know, a little bit not not quite right. Certainly not a disaster, but you know what happened? The network would do the work, and staff would would moderate each other's conversations and counsel one another. You know, when they saw things, you know, perhaps going off the rails a little. So that was that was uh, that was one challenge. There was certainly, uh, you know, obviously the bank was a regulated industry. And so there are some existing rules and processes, the things staff were already following to safeguard the privacy of customer information. For example, now these things already existed before we we got the social tool. So a way of working around that challenge was to make sure that we embedded uh, enterprise social into the existing policies and procedures, so that we didn't make it seem, you know, that a whole new set of rules needed to be adhered to. It was very much a case of are laying staff concern that this is, you know, operate the way you normally would, safeguard information, don't post anything in the enterprise social network that you wouldn't post now on the intranet or that you wouldn't share, you know, more widely with others. Um, so we, we made it, uh, you know, we really focused on making sure that staff understood that... Um, these tools were were not going to be a hindrance to them working and they needn't be fearful if they understood where the boundaries were, the way they would normally conduct themselves. Uh, they just simply needed to uh, adhere to those rules as they went about their business inside of the enterprise social tool. So
1: did you have to get involved in much training or was it something, given that people are so used to using social media or many people are so used to using social media that it really wasn't so much of a problem?
0: That's a really good point, and that would be the fourth lever. We were talking about the enabling factors before, and training is key. And when I talk about training, I don't mean, you know, press button A and press button B. Yes, of course, people need to have a bit of an appreciation of the functionality. A lot of these tools are fairly intuitive anyway. But related to those issues of, of fear and concern that people have around working more visibly, we found ourselves spending quite a lot of time... Uh, working with staff and training them to on, on how to work out loud, how to work more visibly. You know what that would mean to collaborate with others. What were what were good examples of that in action? So we, I guess we've become so accustomed in the workplace to working on our own or working in our little teams and in emails and you know under the cover of darkness that all of a sudden we're saying to people, come out from the shadows, work in a more visible way and collaborate and work together. Some staff, frankly, didn't understand what that looked like. So the education has got to be about getting people in the right mindset to appreciate um, how they can work visibly, as well as the functional training. So it's not just tools training. It absolutely has got to be about making people feel comfortable in their own heads uh, to to do this well.
1: So did you start small or did you just roll it out immediately across the whole of the entire bank network?
0: We started small. Uh the, the IT people certainly wanted us to do that just from a from a load, you know, and technical perspective, but it also made sense from a change perspective as well. So because we wanted to mobilize people around real work, we went to the areas of the business that had um, particular, I guess, big goals that they were wanting to achieve and we asked them if they would form part of the early early rollout. And so that meant identifying champions in those areas and training them up to help us be able to be advocates and evangelists for the use of this tool across the bank. Uh, It meant um, identifying communities of practice that we could set up, um, that we could focus on to make sure that they built out great content that would be useful for the people who who would go there when we first turned the tool on. And, and then beyond that, beyond key communities of practice and some basic training, uh, we we also rolled this out in a in according to geography as well. So we certainly just didn't turn it on. That would have been very very difficult. We turned it on gradually, and I think there was some. There was momentum that built in that as well, and there was some excitement with that as well, where staff were eagerly kind of anticipating these tools coming to them. So I'm glad we did that. I think the smartest thing we did was was go with communities of practice that were related to big goals and real work, because there's nothing more motivating for people than to uh, you know start to recognize that here's a place where I can go will help me get my job done, get my work done faster. Solve, help me solve my problems. So I think that worked incredibly well for us.
1: So, just in terms of, of of the content piece of it, what was the most popular content that you found got the best reaction on on the enterprise social network?
0: Hmm. I think it's no, it's it's not that different to what you would see in external social channels. People want to be engaged in a conversation. People don't really love being talked at. So, content that was. Uh, you know, one way essentially where people were not uh, seeking to engage a response tended to fall flat. So content that worked really, really well uh, was content that um, asked people to engage, that asked questions, polls, chats, uh, where people were genuinely engaging in a two-way, you know, multi-directional conversation worked really, really well. Uh, And then uh, because we had communities of practice that were aligned to specific goals and objectives of their own um people were very engaged in their own communities providing those communities really focused on their core content so for example for the retail frontline in Australia uh, problem solving was uh, was a big you know a big pulling um lever for staff so Staff were motivated to go uh, to look at the content there um, because they knew it would be associated with problems that they were experiencing, you know, in their day-to-day work. So that was motivating for them. So it, it you know, the content differed across the the different um, communities of practice, and right across the organisation, the fun stuff as well. I mean, we let the we let the the fun stuff um, grow and develop all on its own. So staff set up communities you know, where they were interested in running at lunchtime or watching movies or food. Um, Staff shared ideas, uh, shared their best tips for food. You know, if you were travelling around the ANZ network and going to another country, you know, where could I get a great cup of coffee? Those sorts of things, you know, worked really, really well. So, yeah, the the engaging content was was quite different. Some of it was fun. Some of it was work-related, but, you know, where it worked best was where there was a genuine intent to engage in a conversation. That the one-way stuff, which I must say, for some leaders, was really hard to to get them out of that headspace. Um, in the one-way communication, simply doesn't really work in a in a social network. Hmm. So where
1: where does enterprise social sit on the sort of maturity scale? You know, I know you. You travel and lecture overseas. You consult in Australia and lecture here in Australia. When you take a, a view on particularly enterprises, large organisations, where do you where do you think they sit in terms of the adoption of of these tools to to drive productivity and engagement in their staff?
0: Hmm. Sure. So sometimes I, I I reflect. You know, I think, gee, we've come far as a, as a world. You know, in terms of the digital workplace and. And, uh, you know, we're doing a pretty, pretty good job. And then, uh, you know, I'll hear from an organisation that is still struggling to talk to its leaders about why they should be being social in the first place. So every time I think there's some great progress being made, and indeed there is in many organisations around the world, there are still organisations that are having trouble getting their leaders to see value Uh, you know, in this at all at the moment. It's still seen to be unproductive and and a waste of time somehow. Um, I think the other thing that confuses people and bamboozles us a bit too is there are so many tools flooding the market. And if you're a customer that's never been in this space before, you can easily be seduced by vendors who promise you the world. And if you're unclear about your business purpose, your business objective, and then you you don't really have a great understanding of how these tools work – you could fast find yourself buying some technology that perhaps doesn't really meet your purpose so it's that's uh that's a sort of a scary thing i guess uh, going on in the environment but happily you know i was at a digital workplace conference in chicago recently and i talked to a lot of vendors who were there um selling selling their tools and you know happily these guys are now working out that they can't go to customers and just have a conversation about the functionality of their tools and work through a checklist of of functionality. They now appreciate that they've got quite a bit of a job to do to help their customers understand how they will um, meet a business purpose in using these tools. So it's stepping a, a bit outside their boundaries. Some of them are struggling with it. But for the most part, I think most vendors now recognising they have to talk to their customers about what sort of employee experience they're going to help their customers build, you know, rather than talking to them about um, the functionality of their tools.
1: All right. Well, that's almost a topic for a, a, you know, a podcast by itself, you know. What is the right stories. tool to use and, 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 and how can you integrate them and how can you train people? But we will have to wrap it up there. Rita, how can people get in contact with you if they're interested in getting started and they want some feedback and they might be able to ask you a few questions? What's the easiest way for someone to make contact with you to explore what is obviously critically important? You know, the biggest investment in government public sector organisations are the people and it's getting the best out of the people that really... Uh, you know, the leadership in the public service is looking at. So how how are they, how might they best get in, in contact with you?
0: Sure. Well, I, I can talk underwater about this subject. There is no doubt about it. But uh, because uh, we're talking social here, so I practice what I preach. I am on Twitter. I am on LinkedIn. And uh, people will be able to find me on Twitter at, um, at Rita Zonius. And uh, yes, I am. Uh, I am not far away in the Twitter sphere or in the land of LinkedIn. And I'll be very happy to chat to anyone who's, you know, thinking about this, or perhaps they've gone in and, and had a go and are feeling that they're just not getting the value out of it. So, um, yeah, I love talking enterprise social. It's the way of the future. It's how we're going to solve problems, innovate, crowdsource. You know, in the future, working in virtual communities online. So we've all got to get used to it.
1: So a big thanks to Rita Zonius for joining me in this episode from the vault. And again, I really am enjoying listening back uh, to this content because there is just so much to learn, so much wisdom. and so much context, I think, uh, as we evolve and continue to adapt and change uh, and take advantage of uh, ongoing acceleration in digital technologies and you know, the evolution of different platforms. Uh, but again, I think one of the great things that these From the Vault series is doing is teaching us or telling us that the basics are the basics are the basics, and you've got to get those things right if you are going to be effective. As always, we do value your feedback, and I would greatly appreciate if you did have time for a rating or a review. Uh, it does help the program to be found. Uh, doesn't take long, so if you did have time to do that, that would be much appreciated. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode from The Vault. I'm David Pembroke, and it's bye for now.
0: You've been listening to the GovCom's podcast.